Well, grab your seats. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thrilled you are here. Homecoming weekend for a lot of people. Uh, my daughter's going to homecoming tomorrow. Pray for your boy. Uh, it's, it's real. It's happening. Uh, so anyway, uh, fun days ahead. Keaton's got his suit ready for tomorrow night. He's going to, anyway, walk the red carpet. It's, it's a great time of life for these high schoolers. So if that's you, or if that's you parents who are going to be up really late tomorrow praying in the spirit, I speak God's blessing over you in Jesus' name. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Go ahead and turn to Nehemiah 8. We're in our uh, sixth week going through this series uh, the, the prophet Nehemiah. And it's this beautiful first person account. We were listening to it with our children on the drive to school the last couple weeks. And my son goes, this is kind of like a memoir, isn't it? Uh, this is Nehemiah's memoir, his story of rebuilding Jerusalem. So I hope you've enjoyed it at least half as much as I've enjoyed preaching it. But here we are tonight in Nehemiah 8. What I'm going to do is read the first six verses and then I'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord from the prophet Nehemiah. It says, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, Watergate. I just realized that Watergate's in the Bible. Uh, (laughs) The first time in my life I've noticed that Richard Nixon was foretold (laughs) by the prophet Nehemiah. Anyway, wow. The things that hit you in real time. Before the Watergate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of women and men and all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon. Flag that phrase in your mind. He read the book of the law from daybreak, 6 a.m. till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and the others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood uh, Mattathiah and Shema and Aniah and Uriah and Hilkiah and Messiah. It sounds like a disease. And on his left were Padiah and Mishael and Malchijah and Hashem and Hashbada and Zechariah and Meshalem. So all these people, these teachers are gathered around Ezra as he's teaching. And Ezra opened the book and all the people could see because he was standing above them. They could see him. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and they responded, amen, amen. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray tonight that you would do something similar for us. This scene that we've just read about is a really critical moment in the history of the people of God getting the city back together and then opening up the word. And we pray, Lord, as we open up the word tonight, we would hear from you. We pray that every distraction would be silenced. We pray that every bit of confusion and anxiety would be silenced, that you would calm us with your word tonight. Lord, we pray that we would have new imaginative possibilities for the future. We pray that something would spark in our souls tonight. We pray that we would come back to life. We all come into the house of the Lord carrying death in us. And we pray that by your spirit tonight, we would leave alive. So Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Have you ever moved into a new place and all the people are there helping you unload your Penske or your U-Haul and there's cheap pizza that you buy to try to attract helpers over, and it never quite rises to the level of their hunger, and they're, they're doing this because they love you, but they're sort of rolling their eyes. Have you ever been in that scene where you're moving into a new place, and then finally you get in and everyone goes away, and then late that night it's quiet in the place for the first time? And you kind of have a moment where you go, 
we're here. Look what the Lord has done. What a, what a blessing, what a gift. I, maybe you've uh, moved in with roommates to a new apartment and, and you got three roommates in three different rooms and you're all trying to get settled and your furniture doesn't quite match because it's three kind of you know, uh, sets of furniture thrown together on a shoestring budget from Goodwill and you get in that place and finally that night you sit down around the table with paper plates and you go, we're here. This scene in Nehemiah chapter eight is one of those scenes where for a long time, the the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down, the gates had been burned with fire, they had been open to marauding enemies and bandits coming through and robbing these people, and and there's so much vulnerability for, for really centuries. These people had been living on the brink, but Nehemiah hears the word of the Lord to leave Persia. He's in Iran in the house of King Artaxerxes and he goes back to Jerusalem and he helps them rebuild the wall and they finally hang the gates and on this night they go, finally, we're back safe in our home. The promised land has been restored to us. We can begin to rebuild a life. I wanna ask, what did they do? It's interesting what people decide to do on the first night, to sort of break the place in or to, to, to remember the moment, to create a holy moment. What do they do? What, what they do is they open the words of the law. They could have done a whole lot. They could have, they could have partied. They could have broken out the wine. They could have danced. They could have sung. They could, what they do on the first day in the new place that has been restored to them is they open the words of the law, all the people came together. And verse three, it says, they read aloud from daybreak till noon as Ezra faced the square before the water gate. Some of you think my sermons are long. (laughs) From daybreak till noon. (laughs) Seven days in a row, seven days in a row, they gathered from 6 a.m. till noon and they heard the word of the Lord proclaimed by Ezra standing up on on the stage, the platform that they'd built for the occasion and he read from the book of the law. They respected the scriptures. And I think as the people of God, it's time for us to, to respect the scriptures again. I'm not here to wag the finger, I'm talking to myself. But we live in such a distracted age. We live in a, in a social media age, a scrolling age. We live in what psychologists have started to call doom scrolling. Just what's next and swipe down. Oh my gosh, and what, what's happening in Russia and what's happening in the economy and what's the inflation at today and what are the, the interest rates at today? And, what, and, and one, one great preacher said one time, he said, you know, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter will be proof on the day of judgment that our lack of time in the scripture wasn't for time. <laughs> we have time, right? I think it's just time for us to, to get the book back out. Like we've, we, 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 we've, we're rebuilding the wall. We're trying to hang the gates and, and be secured. Again, we're trying to see strength come back to the people again. But the first move for strength to come back to the people of God is to open the scriptures afresh and to go, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you and cleanse me and purify me and wash me and make me new and give me a vision of the good life, a vision that cuts against the grain of the world's story of what the good life is. The people on the first day open the book. These camp meetings, you know, anyone grow up in a culture where you went to camp meeting or your church had a revival, you know? I'm a Tulsa boy. We had these, it seemed like every month, you know? (laughs) Five nights in a row at the house of God and people are fasting and praying and going for it and worshiping till, like, like, This scene here makes our old camp meetings look precious, you know? Seven days in a row, seven hours a day, 49 hours in a week of listening to Ezra read the Bible. But I wanna ask what happens when we read the scriptures? What happens when we read the scriptures? Did any of you grow up in a society or in a culture where you talked about the sword of the spirit? I know Bree talked about the sword of the spirit. Benjamin, you, you knew about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, you know, Ephesians 6, finally, my brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you may stand against the wiles of the devil, right? Take on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the, the, the sword of the spirit and, 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 and like belt of truth and 
feet shod with the preparation of gospel of peace. I, I grew up in a culture that talked about the sword of the spirit all the time and we, we memorized passages and I'm so grateful for my time growing up in the scriptures and it marked me and I'll never recover from it. It marked me in all the right ways. I thank God for how I grew up. But Simeon, you remember the old man Simeon, he comes into the temple when Jesus was just eight days old, little boy Jesus. And, and the spirit sent him up to the temple and he sees Mary and Joseph. And Simeon comes over to Mary and he prophesies to her. Do you remember this scene, the old man? He said, it says, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him through Simeon. And then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child, Jesus, is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. And he has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. I mean, imagine you're holding your eight-day-old baby and you're just recovering. You just got back home from the hospital. And this prophet comes and says, your baby's gonna cause many to fall and many to rise. Get ready. And he says, as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword, Mary, will pierce your own soul. Jesus is the word of God, right? He is, he is the, the ultimate sword of the spirit that cuts. And, 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 and he says that a sword will pierce your own soul, that your baby will cause many to fall and many to rise. And this is the trajectory of the life of faith. God, scripture says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you'll humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he'll lift you up in due season. Like if you will get low, he'll raise you up. But if you try to build yourself a throne, he'll bring you down. Jesus is that sword of the spirit that sort of cuts against the grain of the flesh in our souls. And Simeon says this, and I used to think, and, and so I'll just say we think of the sword of the spirit as something that we use against the world. But what if the sword of the spirit is the sword that God uses against us? <laughs> I, I, used to, I used to memorize these things and I'd go, you know, someone would bother me and I'd go, you know, get thee behind me, Satan, you know? Like I'm using, I, I, like all those bad people out there who are sinners and all those bad people out there who don't see the world like us and, and you know, we're, we're using the Bible to sort of protect ourselves from all the badness out there. But what if the sword of the spirit actually cuts against us? God uses the sword to bring us to our knees. God uses the sword of the spirit to make us forgive our enemies. God uses the sword of the spirit to begin to take the forest of planks out of our eye instead of trying to pick the little thing out of someone else's eye. Like the sword of the spirit, God's word is not so that we can protect ourselves from the bad culture out there. The sword of the spirit is so that we can repent, so that we can fall on our knees, so that we can be humble again, so that we can be clean again, so that we can be innocent again. And Ezra, the teacher of the law, it says in verse four, he stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. This is why we got this stage here, and this is not my stage. This is not anyone's stage. This is the Lord's place for his word to go forth. Like, I'm scared to stand up here. <laughs> I, I, this, this is sobering and humbling, and it's not cool to preach the scriptures. It's like tremble if you're gonna do this word. Like, but this word has got to go forth because this word transforms and renews and enlivens us. And I, I just... The people of God on their first day back home, what do they do? They open the book and for the week, they let the word of God wash over them. And, and I just wanna encourage you to build new routines. And I'll say this, and you, you may think I'm crazy, it's not that hard. So I'll give you a couple ideas, okay? Any of you drive more than 15 minutes a day? Anyone, 15 minutes a day, you're in your car? You can listen to five chapters of the Bible in 15 minutes a day, Bible Gateway, get the app, whatever. There's a thousand apps out there. Get it, plug it into your car and let the word of God wash over you. I'll tell you about our routine in the morning with our kids. We have a 15 to 20 minute drive depending on traffic and every morning, five days a week, we get in the car and we turn on BibleGateway.com and we listen to 10 minutes of the scriptures with our kids. Usually it's, it's just a great thing to do because they'd be barking at each other if we weren't doing that. So everyone shut up, hear the word of the Lord, okay? <laughs> Shh. But we drive and for 10 minutes, we just let the word of God wash over us. And, and then here's all I say, it's a simple prompt. I said, what did you hear? 
And each of the kids have to answer, and it's simple, and they'll go, well, it was interesting to me that he said this, and it was interesting that that detail came up, and all of them are getting engaged in the word of God, and at the end of their little reflections, I lay my hands on them, I say, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, Lord, lift his countenance upon you, grant you peace, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then one of them will say, this then is how the Lord Jesus taught us to pray, and we say, our Father who art in heaven, and then they go in school. I started crunching the numbers though. Our, our first girl, Lillian, our first baby, she went to kindergarten 2011. Our baby, Wakely, will graduate high school in 2031. That's 20 years of morning routines. And I started crunching the numbers. 10 minutes a day for five days a week, for 40 weeks a year, for 20 years, that's 667 hours of the word of God, which is 28 days of the word of God. Like they did seven days of the word of God. We, we, like friends, it's not hard. You just have to block holy rhythms and do it. And it will wash over you. And our kids, they'll hear something and they'll go, I'm sorry for saying that to you, Wilson. That was so mean of me. Please forgive me. I didn't do that. The Holy Spirit of God did that. Friends, if you're going to re, be reestablished in the promised land, if you're gonna rebuild the walls and hang the gates and settle back home, you will not be able to do it without this book. And so I'm not here just to, to wag the finger. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is there's a gift waiting for all of us if we will just give ourselves over to it. Friends, the word of God will transform you, prize the scriptures, build a high altar and put the book up on it and let it be the word that washes over your life and over your friends and over your family. And if you will, life will be reestablished in the promised land. Can you say amen? The second thing that I wanna ask tonight is what happens when they hear the word of the Lord? It says, beside him on each side was all these teachers. I read you those crazy names. Verse five, Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. There's a physical act here. There's a, a sacrifice here. They weren't passive uh, recipients. They all stood up. They revered the word of God and they, it was a bodily act. They, they used their bodies. They stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord and the great God and all the people lifted their hands. It's, you see, do you see what they're doing here? They stood up and then they lifted their hands and then they lifted their voices. They all responded saying, amen, amen. We hear something that is true and good and beautiful. We hear something that if we would actually obey it, it would, it would keep us in the promised land. So we stand up and we lift our hands and we go, amen, yes, yes, yes. Give me some of that and I wanna be that kind of person. They, they begin to throw their bodies and their voices and their hands at this word. And then they bow down and they worship the Lord with their, with their faces to the ground. And uh, like you just watch sports, like I'm a crazy sports guy. Lisa and I both played some college sports and we got our teams and we yell at the TV and we you know, put on you know, the right colors and we make food. And like I know that the OU Sooners are playing Kansas State tomorrow at six o'clock and don't you dare call me, okay? Like we care about this stuff, right? And we scream and, and, and I'm a musician. We go to concerts and I, I yell and, and you too and, and, and all the, I mean, these greats and like you go into these environments and you, you don't go. <laughs> Bono was pretty moving tonight. No, you go, oh my God. And you sing at the top of your lungs and you get out your phone or in the back in the day, you're lighter, you know? We all knew who the smokers were. And, and like, you just go for it. Like, clap and shout and dance and lift hands and sing. And, 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 and when you read the scriptures, the psalmist says, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Like, you cannot come into the presence of the Lord and be passive about it. You cannot come into the presence of the Lord and sit back like all these people. They, they, they heard the word of God and they stood up and they lifted their hands and they shouted and then they bowed down and it says they put their faces to the ground. Like how embarrassing, how humbling, how like God is God and we are not. That's what you're saying when you move your body like that. Like I have got to get low because I've come into the presence of truth and reality and the one who was and is and is to come, the King of kings and the Lord of lords and all of our little kingdoms pale. When he steps into the room, everything flattens out because God is God and we are not. This is what they do. And what I want you to notice 
is the trajectory in Nehemiah. They start by standing in reverence for the word of the Lord and they end by bowing in repentance because this is what the sword of the spirit does to us. Too many Christians today, I think, are standing up to fight the culture, but they haven't first bowed in repentance. They're so mad at the world. Have you ever, I mean, you seen this like, red face. I mean, we're like Tucker Carlson meets Jesus. We're so mad, right? All right, Don Lemon, I'll just like level it out. It's fine. It's both sides. Our veins are popping out of our necks and our faces and we think we're gonna change the world by being mad. And we haven't repented yet. We haven't asked the Lord to transform our hearts yet. Like, forget about what, just for a second, Lord, would you search my heart and tell me if there's anything in me that's not like you and I repent. Friends, you cannot fight before you bow in repentance. And I want you to notice the startling physicality of worship all throughout the scriptures. The startling physicality. Clapping and shouting and dancing and bowing, lifting hands and singing. Building altars and sacrificing animals. They bring goats and bulls and calves and all kinds of birds and they're slaughtering them on the altar and they're giving of their, their tithes and they're bringing into the storehouses their grain. Like you don't come into the presence of the Lord to just think good thoughts. You, you, no, these people are like, it's a, it's a circus of emotion and sacrifice and activity and, and it's physical and it's loud and it's costly. Friends, notice the startling physicality, but I wanna ask what happens when we involve our bodies in the worship of the Lord? What happens when we involve our bodies? It's not just them trying to keep the saints busy when they're in church. No, there's actually something transformative happening here. I read a study several years ago about taxi cab drivers in London, okay? I've got my friend Catherine here from the UK, from England, and, and, and taxi drivers in London, and London has some amazing streets. I'll be there next week, and incredible uh, traffic and beauty, and I mean, you saw it this week on the television, and, and what they do in this taxi cab academy to get people ready is they teach them about all the streets on paper. They have their books and they're, they're writing things down and they're looking at it. But before you can graduate the taxi cab academy in London, you have to walk every street in London under your feet. You've got the map with you. So you've been studying the map for months and you've been memorizing. You've got it locked away up here, but they will not turn you loose on the streets until you've put every street under your feet in London. And what they did is they studied the brains. They did brain scans of all of these people in the academy before they walked the streets. Brain scans. So they've got a map of their map up here. They've got a picture of their brain, what it looked like before they walked the streets. And then they walked the streets and they got the streets in them and then they got out in the cars and then they did another brain scan of all of the same people, everyone before and after. And what they discovered in these brain scans is that the hippocampus, the region of the brain associated with spatial memory was significantly larger than non-taxi drivers. Like, whoa, what's going on here with these taxi cab drivers? And what they understood is that the physicality of the act of walking the streets bolstered the function of their brains and it increased, the, it, their brains actually got bigger after walking the streets. And then they, they did side-by-sides with their brains before they had walked and driven and they put them next to each other and the brains got bigger. It's unbelievable that, that they're physiologically, they were transformed when they got the act into their body. Something changed. It wasn't just precious little mental ascent and memorizing. It was like, no, you're actually being transformed and we can tell the difference because you got it in your body. The hippocampus, interestingly, when tested after retirement, so they tracked these taxi cab drivers over decades. When they'd memorized the map, After they'd walked the streets and driven for just a bit, the transformation of their brain, it got larger. And then after retirement, they circled back and took brain scans of all of these living taxi cab drivers. And do you know what happened? The hippocampus dramatically decreased in size. Their brains atrophied. 
when the physicality of the work was abandoned. They still knew the streets, but they weren't walking the streets. They weren't driving the streets. They weren't out and about doing the act. They still had it memorized. And in that time, their brains went back to the normal size. So yes, what I want you to see is to notice the physicality of the act of worship and think about the sacraments. At the end of this service, we're gonna come to the table of the Lord and take bread and cup. And and, and we we were clapping and singing and dancing and shouting. We gave of our resources and we anoint people with oil and, and we baptize people in water. This is not just some precious little mental activity in the house of the Lord. There's something happening with our bodies when we worship the Lord. And what happens is just like the taxi cab drivers from memorizing to actually doing it, to getting it in their body, to putting it under their feet, to activating themselves in the work. Just like those taxi cab drivers were transformed, we become transformed. And this is why Paul says in Romans 12, one, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Because some people, you, you've been bound in, in old ways of thinking and old habits and stuff that has trapped all of us. And, and we feel like we're freezing in time and we can't break out of it. But once you start offering your body and you start bowing in the presence of the Lord and you say, Lord, you alone are God and you alone are worthy of my worship and I throw away that old way of being, what's happening is over the course, it's this compounding interest of, of the kingdom of God. We become new. We become transformed. We become the people of God afresh. We use our bodies to rebel, but in worship we use our bodies to repent, to return, and to resubmit to God. You get the story of faith into your body. You get the story of faith into your mouth. You get the story of faith into your hands. You give, you serve, you pray, you wash the feet of the world, you bow in repentance, you put your face to the ground. When you want to be like God, you get on your knees and say, there's only one and I submit to you. And over the course of decades, friends, you will be made holy. You will be made holy. They valued the word of God. They got the story into their bodies. But at the end of This text, there's something really interesting here. Quite strange, actually. I want you to see this strange practice that they gave themselves over to as they were being resettled in the promised land. Verse 13, on the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, they gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the words of the law, and this is back in Leviticus 23. So they're going through Moses' words, and they go, holy smokes, Moses is on to something here. They read Leviticus 23, and they found written in there, which the Lord had commanded them through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it through their towns and in Jerusalem, like practice this, go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles and palms and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written in Leviticus 23. And so the people went out and they brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their roofs and in their courtyards and in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim and the whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, way back, Joshua and Moses, Until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated this festival like this, and they started celebrating it again, and their joy was complete. I wanna show you a picture. This is the, it's called the Festival of Tabernacles, or in Hebrew, Sukkot. I wanna show you this picture of the Festival of Tabernacles in modern-day Israel. I've been over there during the Festival of Tabernacles. These are their homes, their apartments, But out the back of their homes, in their courtyards and on their balconies, they built these little temporary shelters and they sleep outside for a week. They go camp on their back porch. And Moses told them in Leviticus 23, after they had left Egypt, hey, I want you to practice this. I don't want you to ever forget. And what is he doing? Like, why the temporary shelters? What's the purpose of this act? He's saying saying to them, once a year, I want you camping outside for the week, and don't you ever forget that you came from Egypt. (laughs) 
Don't you ever forget when you used to sleep under the stars in the wilderness for 40 years. And don't you ever forget what happened at the Red Sea. And don't you ever forget what happened at the Jordan when the the water split and you walked through. And don't you ever forget that I settled you in the promised land. Like remember the simplicity of the life of faith. We build this whole mechanism. We, build, we get so complex. And he's saying, look, go sleep on your back porch and go sleep in that little hut and remember that it doesn't always take that much. Remember that you could, remember when you used to like pray? Remember when you used to just be thankful for the simple meal and, and, your, and your grocery budget was like 200 bucks a month? And remember when, remember when you just had that one car and it was, you were praying every time, Lord, get me there? Remember when, you know, like the first apartment. Remember when, like, he wants them to go once a year. They still do it. I was just in Israel this summer. They still do it. They go sleep outside. They make themselves uncomfortable on purpose for a week of every year. Why? Because he wanted them to remember what they could live without. Remember what God has done for you. Remember how generous he's been to you. Remember what it felt like when you you wondered how you'd pay the next mortgage payment and look at you now. And I want you to go sleep outside in that little tent and remember that God has always taken care of you and it's gonna be okay. Even if he strips you back to this, it's going to be okay. Remember the people for whom life is fragile today. You may be settled now, but there are other people living in their tents. There are other people on the brink. There are other people wondering where the next wage is gonna come from. There are other people wondering how they're gonna pay for their medical bill that's coming in the mail and they're 60 days late on it. They Remember that you were once there and don't you ever forget that there are people actively there right now. And I want you to go sleep outside under the stars for a week and I want you to have a backache because I want you to remember that people live like that today. And I want you to be compassionate to those people. I want you to give of what you've got in abundance to take care of those people. He calls them to this strange practice of sleeping in these little wooden domes on their back porch to say, you used to be out in the wilderness and there are people living in their wilderness right now and will you leverage your strength to bring them out of their wilderness into their own promised land? I think this is a really important thing for us to practice today, especially people who are feeling strong, the people who are feeling blessed, people who are feeling the favor of God like we sang earlier, that you would leverage what you have for the people that Brett invited to tell the truth tonight about their situation, that we could all come together, that we could move out into our temporary tents again and remember what it felt like and be uncomfortable and, and leverage our strength. Maybe let someone else move into our house while we're sleeping out in the tent. Maybe pay someone else's mortgage this month if you've got the strength to do that. Find someone on the brink and leverage what you are because remember where God brought you from. Don't ever forget that you were sleeping out in the wilderness once and you wondered if you would ever make it and somehow, someway the water split and you crossed that other side and you settled in the land flowing with milk and honey and would you take what God has given you and be good to the people who don't have it? Friends, The word of God needs to become primary again. What does it look like for you to build a temple, build an altar, build a platform and and hold the word in high esteem? What does it look like for you to, to begin to get this story in your body again and to humble yourself? Because God opposes the proud, but he always gives grace to the humble. So if you will pick the low spot, God will raise you up in due season. And before you shout out there, make sure you repent down here and put your face on the ground and say, search me, O God. And then live in this practice of regularly making yourself uncomfortable. Go out into the, to the, the tabernacle, the Sukkot. Go out into the, to the tent again and let God remind you of who you can lend your strength to. Friends, if we lived this way, I think the promised land would be restored to us. The gates have been hung, they've been closed up, the walls have been repaired, but we could be thrown right back out into exile by ignoring life right in front of us. Friends, today, it's a day to fall back in love with the word, to get it in our bodies, and to make ourselves uncomfortable to settle other people back in their homes. This is what Jesus did. Jesus left the comfort of heaven 
and he tabernacled among us. That's what John 1:14 says. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. So friends, I want you to quiet your hearts. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to begin to think what the spirit is saying to you tonight. Maybe it's simple tweaks in your routines so that you can have the word of God in your ears and in your eyes and in your heart afresh. If that's you tonight, welcome to the club. I'm always taking this invitation. I can always use more of the word of God. So would you just begin to say, Lord, I, I, I long for your word. Lord, I, I want to know the truth. I want to follow you with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. Some of you remember when you used to be energetic in the presence of the Lord. I'm not asking you to bounce around like a cheerleader. I'm not asking you to look like anybody else. I'm just asking you to stretch yourself in the presence of the Lord, whatever that looks like. To get your body back in the story and let your body be transformed as, as you sing and as you lift your hands and as you pray at home and kneel in your, in your study at home. Go into the presence of the Lord and offer your body as a living sacrifice. And then finally, for some of you, you'll, you'll know that it's time to make yourself a little more uncomfortable so that others can have what you have, so that others can be brought out of the wilderness into their own promised land. So maybe the Spirit will give you an idea this week, and I encourage you to act on that, to be generous, to take care of someone else. Make yourself uncomfortable so others can be resettled. And so, Lord, tonight, we invite you. We invite you to have your way in our hearts. We invite you to transform us. We invite you to make us new. Would you begin to use your own words there and deal with the Lord face to face? Lord, we wanna be your people. We wanna resettle the promised land. We wanna be strong again for your glory and for the good of the world. So we invite you to search us and know us. We repent. We bow in your presence and we pray, Lord, that you would raise us up into holiness. Church, would you stand with me tonight? If you have your communion elements, would you grab those? If you don't, raise your hand. Our team's gonna come through the room right now and pass them out. If you need communion, just raise your hands. going to wait till everyone gets theirs. We're going to sing here in just a minute. But... You know, on the first night after they got resettled, I imagine they had a pretty decent meal. Here we are. We're back. <laughs> We're safe again. And tonight, Jesus is here to feed us. Jesus is here to restore us. Jesus is here to give us joy again. Some of you have been carrying the heaviness of life. You've been, you've been weighted down. The enemy has been after you, the, trying to destroy you. Tonight, I'm praying that Jesus would feed you and strengthen you and renew you. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. Would you break that little wafer in your hands? And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. I'll move out into the tent so you can have the house. I'll be shattered so that you can be made whole. I'll go hungry so that you can eat. Jesus made himself uncomfortable so that we could find home again. So tonight, if that's you, I'm praying that somehow by the spirit of God, you'd go home and lay your head on the pillow tonight and you'd sleep sweeter than you have in a year. That you'd find peace, that you'd find wholeness that you'd have a deep breath of fresh air tonight. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. And as often as you do this, remember what I'm like. You may receive the bread tonight, church. On the same night, he took the cup of wine. Maybe you've been at one of these meals where someone you love got everyone's attention at the table. And they said, hey, everyone, look what God has done. We're blessed. I love you. 
I'm glad we have each other. Jesus is the ultimate gatherer around the table. And he says, this cup is the new covenant. It's given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. He's washing away all the old story. He's washing away the shame. He's washing away the fear tonight. And he's saying, this cup is the new covenant. And every time you do this, remember. So would you close your eyes right now and picture Jesus at the table with you? Can you see his eyes? He's seated right across from you. I want you to picture yourself at that table. And Jesus stands and he lifts the cup and he's looking you in the eyes. He said, this is the cup and it's given for you. And remember me, church tonight, Jesus is for you. You may receive the cup. Now let's worship the Lord together. to pass. 
okay. We're going to go back into this. I've seen you move. You move the mountains. But I felt like there was a little prod here, a little moment to push, to push in. Some of you are coming in and, and you're carrying a situation that feels impossible. It feels stuck. It feels like you'll never overcome. It'll always be this way. We'll never get better than we are right now. And I just pray in Jesus' name tonight that that, that lie gets broken. <laughs> and, and so what we're going to do is we're going to sort of sing our way in afresh. And, and if it's for you clapping as loud as you've clapped in 10 years or lifting your hands or dancing or shouting, whatever, like this is your way of fighting back against the lie, sort of taking root in your soul. And so tonight I want you to gather, see yourself gathering that situation up in your hands and gathering it up in your soul and just begin to sing like I've seen you move. You move the mountains and I believe I'll see you do it again. So come on church, I've seen you move. Come on, let's go for it. Church, would you open your hands tonight to receive the blessing? I pray for those of you waiting for a breakthrough that this week something would shift. A shift in the atmosphere, a shift in the conversation, a shift in the relationship, a shift in your health, a shift in your finances, shift in your mental health. Lord, let it break open into life. I pray for those of you who are confused. I pray peace be still in your mind. Peace be still in your heart. Peace be still in your soul. I pray the abundance of God over you. I pray that everything you touch would prosper. I pray that business owners in this place, that your, your businesses would flourish. I pray for, for, for those of you with children that your children would flourish in school. I pray that everything you touch this week would prosper. And I pray may the Lord our God bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his bright smiling countenance upon you and may he grant you and all of your people peace. And I pray tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Amen. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here tonight? 
I'm so glad you came. Thank you for coming. Our prayer team is coming down. If you have any extended prayer needs, we would love to agree with you in prayer. If you're new, come see us at Guest Central in the back. Go from here in God's grace and peace. Much love.